Our Father, the psalmist said, How great is thy goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear thee. We have all seen your goodness in different ways and in different times in our lives. Uh, No doubt about it, no question about it. That's why we have to be careful to, to keep an attitude of thankfulness and of gratitude even when we hit the uh, rough patches uh, that are inevitable in the Christian life, the, the patches, uh, the times in the wilderness, the times where um, we find ourselves in a type of turbulence, a type of calamity, a type of setback. Um, we, 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 we want to avoid these things, but it's just simply not possible. It's part of the path. It's part of the plan. Uh, you do significant things in these stretches of the trail that we encounter that are hard and difficult and discouraging. And when we have been there a while, when we have been there longer than we anticipated, when we are beginning to get weary of well-doing, when we begin to lose heart and begin to lose hope, we wonder why, and we wonder where is your goodness, and we wonder why we are not seeing a response. Those times uh, baffle us, those times challenge us, because we would like an immediate relief, we would like an immediate deliverance. But We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of all wisdom. And you know when it is best to answer. Uh, You know what you are trying to do in our lives. You, You are working in each of our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. And that means there's going to be a certain amount of time in the furnace There's going to be a certain amount of time where we're in um, discomfort, where there's a lot of heat and the heat is being turned up. But how great is thy goodness you have stored up for those who fear thee. We won't always be in that furnace. Uh, The the furnace, there there is a season uh, and there is a temperature And there is a purpose. And when you have achieved the purpose in our lives, you bring us out. We're not always in that furnace. I would pray tonight for the men who are there, for the men who are fatigued and worn out and discouraged, that you might put courage back in their hearts, that you might remind them that your hand is upon them, and that even as they are waiting upon you to see your goodness, that you are working on their behalf, Isaiah 64, 4, no eye has seen a God like thee who works for those who wait for him. You have stored up goodness, and at the right time, you will give it to us. In the interim, help us to trust. Help us to keep our Bibles open. Help us to listen to what you have to say in your word. Help us to live off of the promises. Help us to fight off emotions that get out of control. And help us to stabilize ourselves in the truth of your word. 
encourage us tonight, instruct us. Uh, we need your spirit to open our eyes. We, we all have obstacles to truth. We need you to remove. Give us teachable hearts. Uh, let us hear what we need to hear. Do that work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So this semester, we have been talking about spiritual leadership in the home. Um, and I mentioned that we've been using, it's kind of a guide, the, the book I did a number of years ago, 25 years ago now, Point Man. And we've been kind of working through the chapters, but as we wind up this semester, I'm covering some things that I didn't put in Point Man, uh, but really need to be addressed. Because if you're a man who is following after Christ, and we've made this statement, when a man gets serious about Christ, the enemy gets serious about you. Um, when you really start following the Lord, and, and that's really the name of the game, is to follow it. In John 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Every man is following someone or something. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. When we begin to follow Christ, uh, we are following him because he has changed us. And now we have a new heart. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. And he is going to begin this process of conforming us into the image of Christ. It's, it's not a microwave process. It, it's not something that uh, you, you jump in the microwave and hit three minutes and, and hit spiritual maturity and then come jumping out in three minutes, you're spiritually mature. It is, uh, it, it's, it's more of a crock pot process. Um, when we got married, we were given a crock pot. And it, it, it just, it sat on our kitchen counter. And uh, uh, to my knowledge, I have never used a crock pot. And there is a, now I use a microwave all the time. And the reason I use microwaves is that they are fast and they are quick. And that's kind of how I like to live my life. I, I am what you call results oriented. And uh, I've taken different kind of instruments in terms of psychological appraisals, and you know, I'm sure you have too. And I remember one in particular, I came out in three different ways results-oriented. When you're results-oriented, you like microwaves. When you're results-oriented, you don't like crockpots. And the reason is very simple. Crockpots are slow. In fact, our crockpot admits it. They, they embedded it in the porcelain. It, it, it says crock pot, and then it talks about somewhere in there, it says slow cooker. So I've never used the thing. Um, you know, I, I sometimes wish there was a big giant Christian microwave, but there's not. Uh, God tends not to use microwaves in the lives of his men that he wants to change. However, he is really big on crock pots. Uh, don't you think? Um, there will be time. You will. There will be times you will find yourself in the heat. You will find yourself in uh, in a place you don't want to be, and the temperature is turned up, and you're thinking, 
the only thought in your mind is, how fast can I get out of this? And you pray and you ask the Lord and he's got you there. And it does, and you're looking around and it doesn't seem that there's any immediate deliverance. That's because it's a slow cooker, you see. You know, it's interesting about uh, a microwave, a crock pot. You can take a chicken and you can cook it in a microwave and it'll cook. Uh, you can put a chicken in a crock pot, put it on in the morning, come home at night, pull it out. But there's a difference between a chicken cooked in a microwave and a chicken cooked in a crock pot. And you know what the difference is. And the difference is, it's all you can do to get that chicken out of the crock pot without it falling apart. Because you see, when you slow cook, what happens is it becomes very, very tender. And this is what God does with us. You see, because most of us need to be tenderized in our hearts and in our spirit because we're, we're strong, we're strong-willed, we have our plans, we have our agendas, uh, we know what we want to accomplish, we have our 90-day goals, we have our, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But, um, but Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They follow me. Not, not what we plan, not our agenda, not what we've got in mind, but what he's got in mind. Um, and usually what happens when a guy starts getting serious about the Lord what happens is, at some point in your life, you're going to find yourself dealing with something perhaps you've never dealt with before, and it's what we would call depression. I'd like you to turn me to first, actually not first Corinthians, but second Corinthians 7. When I was... Uh, Right around 31, 32, I hit a dep I, I found myself in a depression. And it took me about two and a half, three years to pull out of it. And it was, I was stunned by it. It, um, I never saw it coming. And I woke up one day and I was, I was, I, well, I, I was depressed. I, I had this cloud over me. Uh, I, I was utterly and totally discouraged and without hope. And um, I, I had been pastoring my first church. I was a rookie pastor um, in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is, is usually not included in the Bible Belt. Um, a little different culture there. And we had seen some good things happen there in three years. But I was young. I was very ambitious. We had had some growth, but I wanted to see more growth. I was completely out of balance. I had all these things on my agenda that I wanted to see achieved and the Lord do. And some of them were happening, but a lot of them weren't. And I was frustrated. And 
hired some folks to help me, and that didn't work out that well because I, I really didn't know, I didn't have the experience really to know who to hire. And after about three years, I, I kind of hit a wall. And I was, I was going pedal to the metal pretty much 24-7. Um, just a constant blur of activity, trying to make all this happen. I remember when Mary asked me one night, she said, do you think we could go see a movie tonight? And I knew what I was supposed to say, but I really didn't want to go. Because you see, I was trying to build the kingdom of God and Jesus really needed me. <laughs> now, I would never say that, but that's sort of how I was living my life. So Mary said, Steve, is there any way we could take a night and go see a movie? I didn't want to do it. Why? Because I was so driven. Isn't that crazy? But I was, I was young, and I don't know why I was so driven, but I was. And, and what my tendency was, I, because I'm results-oriented, I set these goals, and man, I want to hit, I'm going to take that hill. I'm going to take that sucker. And if it means I don't go to a movie with my wife, that's okay, because I'm going to take that hill. Well, that couldn't continue, you see. So um, at, at a certain point, I... Because of my temperament and my personality, I went so hard all those years, I just ran out. And I lost my motivation, and I, because I couldn't give 110%, I started feeling guilty. I probably only had 50% of my tank, and I started feeling guilty that they were paying me, and I wasn't given 110 120%. And after this went on for a while, I thought, you know, I need to leave here. I really didn't consult anybody, but I decided I'm going to resign. Now, that was stupid. It was stupid that I didn't talk to anybody older. It was stupid that, but once again, you see in my own head, well, this is the best thing. Actually, it wasn't the best thing. Uh, I was young. I was stupid. So I went ahead and resigned, and I figured what I need is a new ministry. And when I resign, in fact, son, I'd already been talking to someone. Well, this is going to work, and then I'm going to go there, and then we'll get a new start, and it'll be great. Well, that, what I thought was going to work didn't work, and then I, the, next, the next day I got a call from another church, and then I thought, oh, here we go. That didn't work because I'm going there. And then I went through a process with them, and then they said no, and I thought, man, I thought I was going. And then the next day I got a call from another church. Oh, well, that's why those two didn't work out, because I'm going to this church. That happened seven times. And basically, God just hemmed me in. And when I finally, and this went on for a year, and this is when I hit depression. The reason I'm telling you this, I didn't know anything about depression. Um, but I would wake up crying. And I couldn't stop crying. And I remember, I, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, and it scared me because I'd never been like this before in my life. And I thought, I really thought to myself, I was going to wind up in some kind of institution because I couldn't stop crying. And, I mean, I was, I was scared. And I remember Josh was in his high chair, and I poured juice, and it spilled, and I started crying. And Mary said, you better go see Sonny, who was a counselor, a biblical counselor in our church, and I would send all these other people to see Sonny. Of course, I'd never go. Why would I need a counselor? <laughs> but I was so scared, I went to see him. And he explained to me some things about depression that I didn't know, because I'd never been depressed not like that. And uh, 
I, I found out some things. One of the things I found out that there can be physiological reasons, obviously, for depression. You know, so, someone's body chemistry, the doctor can give you some tests and you can figure out what's going on. So there can be a physical reason. But for a lot of guys, and what happened to me was, my depression wasn't from some physiological reason, it was from loss, L-O-S-S. When there is significant loss, uh, it can throw you into depression. And at one point he gave me, and I'm sure you've seen this, uh, some kind of uh, document that had different events, stressful events, and they would assign a point system to it, and like the death of a spouse or the death of a child and the loss of a job or a physical setback, you know, even down to making a move from one house to another. And he had me add up my points, and I'm doing this off the top of my head. I don't remember the numbering system. But in essence, it was something like if you have 200 points in a, in a six-month period of time, you're going to encounter some kind of depression. Well, I was like four times that amount or three times that amount. And he said to me, he said, well, see, this is why you're going through this moderate depression. And I thought, moderate? Moderate? Uh, I, really, that really, that made me, that made me angry. And I, and I said to him, and I've told this story before, and I said to him with, with some emotion, because I was angry. What, I said, moderate depression. What, 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 what are you talking about, moderate? I'm crying like a little girl and I can't stop and you're telling me this is moderate? And, and he said a couple things. He said, well, another sign of moderate depression is anger. <laughs> he said that to me. <laughs> I didn't even know what he was talking about. What does anger have to do with depression? Well, later, it makes sense. If you've had a lot of loss, you're angry because you've had a lot of loss. And ultimately, if you have a biblical worldview, who's behind your loss? God, if you believe God's sovereign. Because the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. That's actually biblically correct, you see. But I, uh, I learned in seminary, you're not supposed to get angry at God, I think, in some course or something. I don't know. So I'd get mad at everybody else around me, but I wouldn't get mad at God. So that was a real piece of work. Anyway, he, he, he said, yeah, anger is one of the signs of moderate depression. And then he said to me, he said, Steve, let me ask you something. What did you do today? So what do you mean, what did I do before I got in here? What are you talking about? I, I said, I, I came here, it's, it's 10.30 in the morning. He said, but walk me through what you did. I said, I got up. He said, okay. I got out of bed, I went into the bathroom, and then I went into the kitchen. He said, okay, that's moderate depression. He said, I have people that can't get out of bed and they haven't been out of bed in months. I said, really? He goes, yeah, I've got quite a few of them. You're not there. I know this scares you because you've never been even close to this before, but th th this is not severe, this is moderate and you're gonna come out of this. And I, See, there's some courses they don't offer in seminary. But God has courses that he will sign you up for. And uh, it's what John Newton would call the school of disappointment. 
He said, I, you know, I've never heard of that school. That's because they don't advertise. Because if they did, um, well, no one would be interested. Oh, yeah, I, I'm, yeah I'm, getting a, I'm getting a master's. Yeah, where are you going? Oh, the school of disappointment. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nobody, at the, the school of disappointment, there are no college catalogs, there's no curriculum uh, that's published, but there's a curriculum, you see? Uh, there's, uh, when God puts you in the school of disappointment, he often signs you up for Wilderness 101. Uh, and often with that comes Obscurity 101. Often with that, at the same time, he'll have you take Loneliness 101. Um, they're tough courses, and, and you don't know what to make of it. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 7, in 2 Corinthians, of all of Paul's letters, he's the most transparent. You, get, you, you, get a, you really get a look inside his life, more so than any other letter. And just jumping into 2 Corinthians 7, he says in verse 5, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. Now watch this. But we were afflicted on every side. In other words, in my life, pretty much, Paul was saying, every category of my life, every area of my life, that I can see, I've got trouble. I, I'm fighting battles on multi-fronts here. This isn't just one area of my life. I'm afflicted on every side. Then he says this. He, 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 he explains it a little bit. Conflicts without, fears within. Who wants conflict? Nobody. But you see, he's got conflicts all around him. And, and then as a result, he's got fears inside. There's a book out that is, is a big seller called Your Best Life Now. Uh, this, by the way, your best life is not now. Your best life is where you're going. There's a place called heaven. This isn't it. This is prep for heaven. If you heard Chuck on Sunday, that was brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant. And he, he quoted Peggy Noonan talking about previous generations and how our generation is different. And she basically said, previous generations went through hard times but they did so with a measure of strength and endurance. And the reason they did is that they believed, they actually believed that there are two worlds. But you look at our generation, you look at our culture, and so many people believe there's just one world. And when you believe there's just one world, you're doing everything you can do to get as much happiness and to grab as much as you can right now because this is all there is. But previous generations didn't believe this was all there was. Speaking, speaking in, in generalities here, they believe there was another world. This is preparation for another world. And, and that 
if you believe the gospel, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, John 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. He'd just given the disciples bad news that depressed them. He's going to go away. I don't want him to go away. Wait, hold on. You're going, what? That's the last thing we need is for you to go away. But he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place, I will return and bring you into myself. He's talking about the, another world. He's talking about eternity. You see? But if you believe there's just one world, anything goes. And you're going to do anything you can possibly do to be happy. I read a quote this morning from Thomas Watson, the old Puritan pastor. He said this 300 years ago. Let me see if I can, if I can pull it up in my head. He said, um, most, uh, and he uses the term purse. They use that term to speak of a man's financial condition. Okay? He said, most men are concerned about full purses. God is concerned about pure hearts. Did you get that? We're, we're concerned about full purses. We're concerned about our, our accounts, our retirement, all of this, our financial security. That's our concern. God's concerned about pure hearts. And, and in order to conform us to the image of Christ, when you start following Christ and to mature us, anything in your life is fair game for the Lord. And you may experience loss in your purse for him to do a work in your heart. You may experience loss in your material possessions. You may experience loss in your physical well-being for a while. You may experience loss over here in your career. You may experience a disappointment, a devastation. You may experience a betrayal from someone that you trusted. And they blindside you. And and. You ever, you ever play football? You ever get blindsided in football? And you suddenly find yourself in orbit? You have no clue where you are. You, you don't even know. You have no, you've got no reference point. You just got blindsided. That happens in life sometimes. Even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without without fears within. Watch this. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. You know what I love about this? Is that Paul was man enough to say, I was depressed. Guys get depressed. Why? Because he had all kinds of loss. Uh, when, when Paul came... Go to Acts. Let me show you this. I'm thinking. I'll figure. Just go to Acts. It's somewhere in Acts. We'll find it. Go to Acts 9. I'm getting warm now. Uh, now, 9-1. Uh, now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus. This is Paul who used to be Saul, who was against Christ and against the gospel and held the coats of the men who killed Stephen. If you look at Acts 6 or 7, if you look at 7, 
um, verse 58, and when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, Stephen. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's the Apostle Paul. Not yet, soon to be the Apostle Paul. Uh, then you get in Acts 9, and he's breathing threats, and so he's traveling to Damascus to get some more Christians. And as he was traveling, verse 3, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city. It will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground. Though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. For he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, this is classic, Lord, um, I have heard from many about this man. In other words, you know, Lord, Lord, do you have any idea who this guy is? Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Look at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. Watch this, 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Is that not interesting? And we got people out there hammering this prosperity gospel, and Jesus calls Paul face to face and says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my sake and for my kingdom. I've said it before in here, when God works in a man's life, he works three ways. Number one, he works sovereignly in every detail of your life. Number two, he works strangely in your life. And number three, he works slowly in your life. None of us want to suffer. Uh, one of the ways we suffer is by suffering loss. Is it, is it not true? Paul suffered loss, and he, and he counted it as really not as important because he had come to know Christ. But count on it, there will be loss in your life as you follow Christ. Because as, as he said to Job, the Lord gives, as Job said about the Lord, when he suffered loss, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord has many different tools in his workshop that he uses in order to conform us to the image of Christ. Let's get back to 2 Corinthians 7. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now, Paul admits to being depressed. Um, but then note this. God, who comforts the depressed... He comforts. Here's a question. Have, and, and, I, and I imagine this is true of you, that you, you're coming to a Bible study on a Wednesday night when you could be doing other things. For a lot of you guys, you have a desire to be used by God, and you have prayed, and you have asked God to use you. And when you ask God to use you, what you mean is, I want my life to count. I want my life to influence someone else. 
I, I, I don't believe in one world. I believe in two worlds. And I want my life to count, and I want to be used by you in some significant way to help people in this world prepare for the next world in whatever way you would choose to do that, Lord. You want to be used by God. And oftentimes when we pray and ask God to use us, we have in our mind an idea of what that will look like. Is that not true? Oh, yes, it is. And that's why we got a couple of laughs going on. Because, in fact, we all ought to be laughing because we've all had an idea. When we pray, we not only pray, but we write prescriptions to God. Lord, do this and do this and do this. And please fill this right away. But see, he works. He works sovereignly, but he also works strangely. And don't be surprised when he works in your life in a way that you never anticipated. You see. Um, uh, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So Paul has admitted to being depressed, conflicts without, fears within, afflicted on every side. But he has also just said that God is the God who comforts the depressed. He was depressed, God comforted him. All right, now watch this. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now watch this. This is critical. Who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, so that, we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort from which we ourselves are comforted by God. This is how God works. So when we pray, God, use me, know this, it's going to be like this. Because this is, here's an explanation of how God uses us. Let's read that again. He's the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Every guy in this room has got affliction. Every guy. It's different. Count it. Uh, joy, my brethren, James 1, when you encounter various trials. We got all kinds of afflictions, all kinds of sufferings, all kinds of issues. The guy sitting next to you, his suffering's different probably from yours, and the guy behind you is different, and the guys around There are multiple ways you can suffer. But we all are afflicted. All of us. Who comforts us in all our affliction, so see, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So the way that we are used is that in some way, shape, or form, there will be some kind of affliction, perhaps some kind of loss, and when we have enough loss and you add up the points, you might find yourself in some depression, and you've never quite been this way before, but what's going to happen is this, is, this is absolutely confusing, and it's uncharted territory, but the comfort of God is going to be yours, and as God works in your life and teaches you lessons that you never learn in times of prosperity, when all your goals and dreams are being achieved and you're checking off your objectives, See, when you're going through the hard times, you receive comfort, and it's this comfort that will enable you to be used by God in situations that will, 
come down the road that he will providentially appoint where you will run into someone who is in great affliction and great need and they think there's no one who can ever understand their situation and God sovereignly brings you along at the right time and connects you and you start talking and they think, how does he understand what I'm going through? Because you've received the comfort in your affliction. This is how it works. Now, could God could not have come up with an easier way This is what he chose. This is what he chose, and this is the path. Look at verse 5. Just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Abundance. I don't want the sufferings of Christ in abundance. Do you? No. And once again, there's a whole industry under the guise of Christianity called prosperity theology. It's absolute heresy. It's heresy. But if, uh, for just as the suffering of Christ are ours in abundance, you look around and I got this and I got this. Yeah. Yeah. Man, you must be right on track. Man, you must be a Christ follower. Just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also is our comfort is abundant through Christ. So see, but at the same time, we've also got incredible comfort. Here's the other thing. But if we are afflicted, verse 6, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings with which we also suffer. Our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Now watch this. He's going he's to go even more into what he was dealing with. Verse 8. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Isn't this uplifting? Well, see, I can't find it uplifting. I'll, I'll never forget, as long as I live, when I was about 32 years old, we had two little kids, Rachel and John, and little Josh was in Mary's womb, and we'd been told by, Mary had been told by the doctors at Stanford that she should abort Josh because they were concerned about a medication she'd been taking and she didn't know she was pregnant. And she wouldn't bend, and this guy said, well, you're going to have a little monster. And uh, great bedside manner. I was in the hospital with meningitis when that happened, in the midst of a depression. And then I got meningitis. And I finally got out. And I remember going home, and I remember being in that that one bedroom there in that little rent house. And I, it was early in the morning, and I was tr- trying not to cry. And I was thinking to myself, you know, Lord, if you, if I could get out on that 101 freeway, that Bayshore freeway in San Mateo, and you'd send a truck, a semi, to hit me head on. I mean, I got life insurance. Now, I'd never do that. But for the first time in my life, I could understand why somebody would do it. And it was later that same morning, I read 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. You ever heard... 
the phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle. As I read that, he was given more than he could handle. Is that not how you read it? We were burdened excessively, not according to my strength, but beyond. That means the burden was greater than the strength. <laughs> and so here's what, here's what happened. So that we despaired even of life itself. I read that that morning. And you know what that did? That encouraged me. That encouraged me when I read that because I knew Paul understood and had been in the exact place that I was that morning. Paul wanted to die. And I wished that I could die. Now, I wasn't going to go out there and do it because I had responsibility. But I could sure understand. And I was so glad he said that. So that we despaired even of life. This can happen. So what was it? Five, six years ago, Tommy Nelson up at Denton Bible wakes up one morning and he's in this. Tommy's a strong guy. Tommy knows scripture. Tommy can bench press this building. I mean, that sucker's in shape. Uh, he's a strong guy. He's always been strong. And what happened? He got it one morning and he just fell apart. And he'd never been there before and couldn't work his way. He, didn't, he had no clue what was going on. Now what does Tommy do? So much of Tommy's ministry is talking about depression. He'd never dealt with it before. I was reading an article this week by Randy Alcorn. Some of you have benefited greatly from Randy's books. He pastored in Oregon with my friend Stu Weber for a long time. Randy just wrote an article because in the last year, uh, he woke up one morning and he found himself in depression. Never been there before in his life. And after three or four or five months, I can't remember exactly what the time frame was, he got up one morning and was gone. Now, that's different from what happened to Tommy. It's different than what happened to me. If you read C.H. Spurgeon, maybe the greatest preacher since the Apostle Paul, Spurgeon, in equipping young ministers in his book called Lectures to My Students, he has a chapter called The Minister's Fainting Fits. It's about depression. He struggled with depression all of his life. All of his life, he struggled with depression. This guy was the most powerful preacher of his day. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a medical doctor, brilliant medical doctor, before he went into the ministry, became pastor of Westminster Chapel. I've read the two volumes on his life that are that thick. And when he left the medical world to become a pastor in a little coal mining town in Wales, he dealt with some depression. Later, when he was in London, he's getting up one morning to shave, and an outline comes to him of the ways that the enemy seeks to depress Christians with the soap still on his face. He grabbed some paper and started writing, and it's one of his most effective books. I've read that book maybe 50 times from cover to cover, Spiritual Depression. The different ways that the enemy will try to depress Christians by getting you to look at your past. Oh my gosh, all my, oh, I can't believe vain regrets. So he has a chapter on vain regrets. But if he can't get you on vain regrets, he'll get you on fear of the future. Well, I'm not worried about the past, but I'm scared to death of the future. All right, okay. He'll wrap you up with fear of the future. You see? Or he'll just wrap, he has another chapter called feelings. You remember that great hymn? Feelings. Ooh. 
He's got a whole chapter just on feelings and the place of feelings in the Christian life. Because if you don't get a grip on feelings, they can drive you insane. Because in your life, feelings are important, but feelings cannot be central. What must be central in your life is truth. Not how you feel, but what is true. I'm going to be honest with you. My temperament, my personality, when I get up in the morning, nine times out of ten, there's a little bit of depression in my life. It's just, it's just my temperament. I don't know why. It's just there. And when I get up in the morning, what, what my first task is, is to think my way out of that almost every morning of my life. Which is why <laughs> I get this book or I'll read, I'll pick up a classic that's about this book. Usually written by guys that have been dead about 300 years who suffered greatly and who knew God. You see, because I got to think my way and Bible my way out of letting those feelings control me and dominate me because I'm being lied to. Am I making sense? This guy had loss. He had loss. Um, I'm picking and choosing. I'm looking at the clock. There, there, there is so much. Uh, go to Second uh, Corinthians 11, if you would. You remember, uh, Ananias was said, I, uh, "You go to him and pray for him. I've chosen him, and he must see how much he must suffer for my sake." You remember that? Okay, look at Second Corinthians 11. Uh, he's defending his apostleship here. There's some people that says, you're not even a real apostle. Verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. 11.22 of 2 Corinthians. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I am more so. He's having to defend himself, and he doesn't want to do it. Now watch this. Are they servants of Christ? Yeah. Well, I am more so in far more labors. Watch this. In far more imprisonments. I think he went to prison once, many times. Beaten times without number. How many times have you been beaten up? If it happens to you once, you remember it. It happened to him so many times, he couldn't even count them. Couldn't even count them. Often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Not once, five times. You know why they gave you 39? Because 40 would kill you. So if Paul was spending the night in your guest room and he'd peel off his shirt, his back looked like hamburger. It looked like ground round. So your back looks like that. You've taken five, five times, 39 lashes. How well do you think he slept at night? Huh? You think he passed blood in his urine? I would think so. From all that happened to this guy, And we're upset when we can't stay at the Ritz-Carlton.
You say, aren't you over, uh, kind of overstating this? I don't think so. Look at the next verse. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. When you get stoned with boulders, you know what happens? You, you get fractures. And I'll tell you what else you get. You get internal bleeding. Three times I was shipwrecked. Not once. Three times. A night and a day I've spent in the deep, in the ocean. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such certain external things, there's the daily pressure of me on concern for all the churches. And some of us have been complaining today. Right? And we've got nothing to complain about. I mean, I'm not saying there's not anyone in here in dire circumstances, because some of you guys are. But I'm saying for most of us, even in our affliction, we're blessed. Are we not? Yeah, we are. And there's the grace of God, even in the affliction that we're in, that it's not anything like this. Psalm 42, please. There are times, there are times, there are seasons of difficulty. There are seasons in the wilderness. Again, if you're a man who's following Christ and you're a husband, you're a father, you, you love the Lord, you're putting him first in your business and your career, you are going to encounter difficulty. You're going to uncover, uh, encounter suffering. It'll be with you. It'll be in your family. It'll be... Because God, who is sovereign over all these things, uses these things to build us and to develop us and to mature us. It's not easy. It's hard. It's hard. And you find it everywhere being alluded to in Scripture. In, in Psalm 42 and 43, which are really a unit, um, it's a fascinating psalm because... Um, just look at one verse. Look at verse 7. Um, it, it, it's, it's really a psalm about depression, and I'll show you that to, to, to you in a moment. But this is very similar to what Paul said, that I'm afflicted on every side. Look, look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. That's figurative language. Watch this. All your breakers and all your waves have rolled over me. Uh, the power in waves is incredible. If, if you've lived by the ocean or just vacationed, and if you've ever body surfed, I'm going to tell you something. The power in a three-foot wave is, is astonishing. The power in a six-foot wave. The power in... There is a place in Newport Beach called The Wedge. It's the most dangerous body surfing place in the world. And they have surf movies, and they, I mean, there's usually a guy, one or two guys, it seems to me, I remember this as a young guy living in California, there's usually somebody at least once a year, twice a year, that drowns at the wedge. And some of the best body surfers in the world go to the wedge. And one day, when I was 19 years old, I went out at the wedge. For the same reasons that I was stupid in my first church. As a young pastor, I went out to the wedge, and I thought I could handle it, and I just, I was lucky I got out of there alive without exaggeration. I was very fortunate. 
The power in those waves, I, I mean, I, it's just, it's beyond, it's beyond, you can't even describe it. That happens in life. You get knocked over by this wave, and then you get up and get some breath, and the next thing you know, this one knocks you over, and this one, and you're afflicted on every side. All your waves have rolled over me. Now, three times we're going to read this. Look at verse 5 in Psalm 42. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? See, I, I learned this psalm when I dealt with my depression. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Spiritual Depression, has a whole chapter on Psalm 42. And you know what it's about? It's about talking to yourself instead of listening to yourself. That's the whole, that's the whole chapter. We must learn in the Christian life not to listen to ourselves, but to talk to ourselves. Because this guy is in depression. This guy is, he's actually in despair. Why are you in despair? Or literally, why are you sunk down? Watch this. Oh, my soul. You ever talk to yourself? The older you get, the more you talk to yourself. You young guys, you say, I'll never do that. You will do it. And you will be caught. And you will be embarrassed. You will think you're alone and someone will call to you out of the darkness. And they heard you. And you say, I'll never do that again. And you do it the next day. <laughs> it's just funny about getting old, isn't it? You talk to yourself all the time. You talk out loud to yourself. Anyway. Well, there's a biblical basis for talking to yourself. Why are you in despair? Now watch this. Oh, my soul. See, we tend, we get depressed because we tend to listen to ourselves. So, so what do I do in the morning when for some reason, I don't know why, why do I wake up and there's, a, there's usually just a little overcast of depression? Why, I don't know. Because I'm, I'm a very blessed man, but it's there and so what do I have to do? I have to immediately start telling myself. I have to start telling my soul the truth about God. I'm just telling you, I do. Why are you in despair, oh my soul? And, and oftentimes I'll, I'll be thinking to myself, you know what? These are just feelings, Steve. They're just feelings, don't pay any attention to them. They're worthless, they're just feelings. Why are you in despair, oh my soul? But, but see, if you listen to yourself and you're in difficulty and you're in trouble, well, how, I don't know how this is gonna get resolved and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and God hasn't taken care of this and I don't see any way out and it's not getting better, it's getting worse and I've been in this for months and I thought I'd be out of it two months ago and it just, and you know what I'm talking about? And, and anxious thoughts multiply. If you don't control your thoughts, keep your finger there, but look at Psalm 94. Come on, come on, where is that? See, I'm, I'm still breaking in this new, yes, Psalm 94, 19. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Anxious thoughts, wrong thoughts, thoughts that aren't true. You have an anxious thought, oh my gosh, what if this happens? What if that deal doesn't work out and that doesn't come through and then no one's ever gonna hire me again and, what, and you never have one anxious thought, they multiply like rabbits, do they not? If you don't 
control them and seize them and get a grip on them and herd those suckers and rope them and tie them down. They'll just take off on you and you'll go, you'll go, you're in the pit, man. But you cannot get passive. You have to fight this. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? So you guys that right now are struggling with depression or something and you find yourself in the pit and you came here tonight, you didn't even want to come for some reason you're here. Okay. Let me tell you what I learned from Martin Lloyd-Jones. When he says, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Lloyd-Jones said, and he would do this, take a piece of paper and write out why you're disturbed. Why is it that you're in despair? I've taken legal pads before, and I just start writing. I'm in despair over this, and I'm in over this, and in, I remember in that depression, I did it all the time. I just had reams of paper. Write it out. I'm in despair over this and this, and I don't see any way out of here. And, and this baby is, they're saying, is going to have a deformity, and we don't know, and nothing's working and I'm in this church and I'll never grow it and I had a great deal and I screwed it up and, and so you know what my, the root of my depression was? I thought God would never use me because I'd had a great situation and stupidity walked away from it and I thought I'd never I just thought I'd be the rest of my life because I'd never grow that little church with a bunch of old people and I never did grow it and I'm results oriented and I never saw a way I could be fruitful again in my entire life. What I didn't realize is that God put me in a place where I would not be fruitful. He allowed me to go through the depression, not because he was punishing me, because he was equipping me for something he had in mind for me that I had no clue about. He was going to have me minister to men. I never thought of that in my whole life. And as I've told you before, oftentimes, many times, the majority of times when I'm out doing conferences, I'm running into a guy who is in depression and he will come along, and even as he's talking to me, he'll begin to weep, and he can't stop, and he's embarrassed, and he says, please excuse me. And I say, you don't need to apologize to me. Well, I'm embarrassed. I'm crying like a little girl. And I say, I cannot cry you any day of the week. <laughs> and they look at me, and they don't believe me. And I said, I'm telling you, I cannot cry you, and I've done it. And they don't believe me. And they say, you're kidding. I said, I'm not kidding. And I'll give them a two-minute summary. And they said, no. I go, yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you something. He's near to the brokenhearted, and, he's, and, and he saves those who's crushed in spirit. You think you're finished. You think you can never recover. I'm telling you, you will recover. I learned that verse in my depression. Most of these verses I'm giving you, I learned in a period of dormancy, and I was not productive. I was in classes I didn't want to take. That's where some of you guys are. But you know what happened to me? I received comfort. See, I thought all that stuff disqualified me. You know what it did? It qualified me. Is that bizarre or what? God works strangely. He works strangely. He's not going to waste this in your life. He's going to use it. What are you dealing with right now that you never in your life thought you'd be dealing with personally or in your family? Now, you know what he's going to do? He's going to work through this. And he's brought you through this and this and this. And I don't care what it is. He's with you all the way through this. And, and you don't know. You just can't see it yet. You just walk with the Savior each morning. You get up and you walk. Give me wisdom, Lord. I don't know how I'm going to get through. 
Just for today. Just give me wisdom. You don't need wisdom for next week. It's not next week yet. Just walk with him today. Just navigate us, Lord. We don't know how to do this. If it's one of your kids, I don't know how to help my kid. No, you don't. No, you're not, because you're not God, but he's God. So we call out to you. See, that's the next line. You write out why you're in despair and why you're disturbed, and then watch this. He doesn't stop. Don't just write out why you're disturbed, but then watch this. Hope in God. Now watch this. For I shall again praise him for the help of his saving acts. And it's in verse 11, and it's in verse 5 of the next psalm. Three times he repeats it. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Write it down. Talk to yourself. Here's why I'm in despair. All right? Hope in God. Hope in God. Why? I shall again praise him for the help of his saving acts. And this is where you've got to take control of your thoughts. Am I making any sense? Yeah? This is why you've got to read your Bible. This is why when you're in these periods, you can't close your Bible. You've got to keep it open. You've got to keep it open. When I was in that depression, what, what would usually happen to me in, the morning, in that period when I was a young guy, I, 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 was, I would get up, and at a certain point, I, I, I would get up, and I, I, I would go run. I'd go run three miles. And I'd go run three miles, and then I'd come back, and it would, I'd get back by seven, and... Mary was still asleep. She had two little babies. She's exhausted. And I would lay down in the living room, and I'd turn on Chuck and listen. To insight for living. It was uncanny. It was uncanny. I'd just stretch out on that carpet. And some days I was so screwed up, I really couldn't read. And somehow in God's providence, he used Chuck to give me some insight on how to live that day. Is that wild or what? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence, literally for the help of his saving acts. You're not always going to be where you are now. You're not. You're not always going to be there. You're there for a season. And I learned this from Lloyd-Jones. These seasons of depression, these seasons of affliction, have a beginning, a middle, and an end. You won't always be there. Well, it sure feels like Yeah, I know. Because I've been here for so long. I didn't think I'd been here this long. I know. But it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. You just can't see where you are yet. Yeah, but Steve, I've been waiting for so long. I know. I know. And that waiting wears you out. Because the longer you wait, the more you lose hope. So you've got to keep your Bible open. Psalm 130.
Well, how do you get hope? How do you get hope? Well, the guy in Psalm 130 is in the depths. He's in great pressure. He's in great darkness. Out of the depths, I've cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. This guy's desperate. He's calling out to God. He needs God's help. He's, going, he's sinking. He's going down for the count. Verse 5, and part of the problem is he's having to wait. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. Don't you get tired of waiting? Yeah. All right, watch this. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. Now watch this. And in his word do I hope. If you're not in your Bible, man, you're, you're not taking your meds. Why would you not take your pills? Why would you not eat the bread of life? Why would you get up and check some website when you're in that condition? Why don't, you, why, don't you, why don't you get just start reading through the Psalms? And if something hits you, man, keep a pen and just start and mark it up. And then go back to it. And later in the day, go back to it. And in his word, and in his word, uh, and in his word do I hope. Um, well, this is so overwhelming. I mean, I'm not sure how much, how, how much longer is it going to be. That's not up to you. It's up to him. Because you see, and if you keep reading in the Psalms, you'll get over to Psalm 138. Well, we'll see, I'm wasting time with my life. Actually, you're not if the hand of God is on you. Because you see, if, yeah, but man, so much time has gone by. Well, that may be. But, but look at Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will accomplish that which concerns me. It's not that he might accomplish it, or if you're really, really good, he'll accomplish it, or if you don't screw up, he'll accomplish it. The Lord will accomplish that which concerns me. He'll do it. Now, you be teachable, because from a human standpoint, if you want to fight him, you're, just, you're stupid. And I say that out of experience. Get under the mercy, get under the authority, and obey him. If he makes something clear, do it, and don't screw around. You're just digging, a, you're digging your own ditch, man. Get in with Jesus and get under the mercy and listen to him. And if you screw up, admit it, confess it, and Lord, help me. I, I don't want to go there. I'm done with that stuff. Let me follow you. I, you, you know my heart. I just want to follow you. Steer me, navigate. He sees that. He's, listen, a guy like that who's all in, you think he's not going to help you out? I'm telling you, he'll be all over you and will make a way for you. And will. I've seen it. And guys in here have seen it. And he promises it. The Lord will accomplish that which concerns me. David later said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. Anybody in here that, that would, <laughs> you went through something and you never want to go through it again, but you would say, you would literally raise your hand and say, that which I went through, it was good for me that I was afflicted. Anybody here? Join me. Uh-huh. That was good for me. Don't ever want to go there again, but it was good for me. And don't ever let me forget that, Lord. Don't ever let me forget that. I don't care where you are. You stay close. You stay teachable. 
You keep your Bible open. You listen to people around you who love you. You listen to good counsel. You got a good wife, a godly wife? Listen to her counsel. You got a godly friend? Listen to the counsel. You come here, Sundays you hear Chuck, you, in another church, you got a pastor who teaches the word? Listen to the word. Okay? He's going to navigate you through. He's going to comfort you. And then, and then, this is wild. He's going to use you. And what you went through that you thought you'd never get through, and what you went through that you even thought this disqualifies me. Uh uh. He's qualifying you, He's getting you ready. Let's pray. We just simply say thank you, Lord. The guys who are in real deep right now, sustain them, encourage their hearts. Help them, help them to think straight. Help them to fight off wrong thinking. Help them not to get isolated not by themselves. They can't be by themselves. As you brought Titus to comfort Paul, bring someone to comfort them. That's a gift from your hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.